Good afternoon, guys. Everybody is rested. I told Pastor Duca that I was riding in with him this morning. I said, yeah, my wife and I were out till 3 o'clock this morning dancing. And you have to know me that you know that's, that's a lie right from the beginning. I said, yeah, we really let our hair down. He said, well, that in your case, that didn't take long, did it? And I thought, oh, man, that's a bad sign on January 1st right there. Turn your Bible to the book of Acts. We'll be in chapter 27. And as Pastor Brett said in his introductory remarks, you know, I've been getting emails and some of you have come up to me and you've asked, what did I do wrong? Where are my stuff? Where are my freedom? Where are my money? Show me the money. And people have been wondering, you know, how... How did, how did I get out of alignment that somehow Jubilee did not come to me? Because we can still learn to stone prophets. I mean, it's an Old Testament thing. We'll bring it back and we'll just, we'll just stone you if it's not right. But let me just tell you, God has never been bound by a calendar. I want you to hear this. And there are things that God says and we get to the end. We get to, you know, 1159 on 1231 and we think, well, that's it. Statute of limitations has run out. Heaven is shut off for me. No, it's not. Because I want to say to you this morning that I believe that God is going to complete some things in 2017 that he started in 2016. And as Pastor Brett said, Jubilee really is a moment of being set free, coming to the end of something so you can become, you can begin something else. And I really believe that this year is a moment of course correction for you and for me. And if we'll hear this well, you know, the revelator says in, in, in revelation to the church, he says, let this church hear what the spirit is saying. Now you can hear this message and say, well, you know, yeah, there's Pastor Jim, and he's doing his thing, and Pastor Brett will be back next week. And, well, that was fun. No, no, no. You need to hear by the Spirit today. Because I believe that God is going to say some things to us that if we'll hear well, and not just hear well, but heed that which we're hearing, then I believe that the jubilee and the promises that you've been holding out for, you're going to see come into a moment of completion in 2017. The last quarter of the book of Acts, Acts chapters 21 through 28, they really are about the Apostle Paul's legal wranglings. Jews don't like him much because he's preaching this resurrection thing. And particularly among some of the sects of the Jews, preaching resurrection of the dead was just, it was, you just don't do it. And so he's in trouble with them. There's a plot against his life. It's found out about, they, they, they finally just begin now to appeal to higher judicial courts. And so Paul is there now in front of a couple of governors, in front of Felix, in front of Festus. It moves from there that he's, he has audience with King Agrippa. And then finally he makes an appeal all the way to Rome, all the way to Caesar. And this is, this is seven chapters of the book of Acts is really from that point of accusation from these Jews all the way to his arrival in Rome in chapter 28. But God had spoken to Paul in the 23rd chapter, verse 11. 
He says, Paul, he says, the Lord stood near Paul. It's very, very interesting to me just to listen to the language of Scripture. Not an angel appeared or God, Paul heard. It says, the Lord stood near Paul. Now, I don't know, but that language implies there was some intimacy there. He came up and got next to him. And he said something to him. He says, you must also testify in Rome. Paul had a word. The same way when Jesus told those disciples, we're going to the other side. Those disciples got all excited about everything else that was happening on the way over. But they forgot the word that Jesus said, we're going over. You see, God will give us a word that we need to hang on to when everything else around us is blowing and breaking apart. If God has said something about your body, your health, your money, whatever it might be, let me just tell you, regardless of what the externals look like, God was faithful. He'll fulfill his word. But we pick up the story in the 27th chapter of the book of Acts. Paul and a group of other prisoners are being loaded onto a ship. And they start out in the sailing, the, 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 the journey starts out with some difficulty. The winds are pretty unfavorable. Verse 9, much time had been lost. Sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Now, I don't know about you, but I, 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 that, that would have been a moment of pause for me right there. Then you see this word, but. The centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. And since the harbor was unsuitable to winter, the majority decided. Now, we're going to come back to some of this. The majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. And then a gentle south wind began to blow. Many say, okay, fine. Paul, you're wrong. You're crazy. Look, all this is good. Everything's fine. I mean, the Dow's over 19,000. I mean, everything's, everything's good. And though they had obtained, they thought they'd obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor, sailed along the shore. But before long, a wind of hurricane force called a northeaster swept down from the island. How many of you know that storms come quick? You know, there are times we can see them coming, but the other times, I mean, the next thing you know, you're in the middle of it. It just comes from nowhere. The ship was caught by the storm, could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. Verse 21, after the men had gone a long time without food, we skipped ahead a few days, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice. This is a famous, I told you so right here. <laughs> men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete, but then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you, keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship. Last night... An angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me. There, there's that intimacy again. Near and stood beside. So now Paul's had a word he's going to get to Rome, but now he's got another word he's still going to get to Rome. 
don't be afraid. He said, you must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Let's pray again. Lord Jesus, let us hear well today. Let us hear by the Spirit. God, and let us obey and hear like disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there are lots of moments that prophetic people tend to crawl out of the woodwork this time of year. Everybody looks at the prognostications and, you know, the apostolic council of prophetic people and this is what they're saying and webinars are up and everybody's got a word right now. And I appreciate it. I don't listen to any of it. Because I find that it tends to mess me up. Because I become an echo of everything else. And many times, the reason that I don't pay a lot of attention to some of this is that some of it's nonsense. But but much of it is just not practical at all. It's revelatory information, but it doesn't really give me navigation points of, that's great, but what do I do with this now? Other than you just scared, just, just scared the life slam out of my lungs of everything that's coming and where and how and who and who's going to shoot who and what nation's going to do what to us and all this. It's like, ah! But the question is, what do I do right here living in northern Virginia in this church, in this community, loving my wife, helping my children raise their children? How do I? And so I want to be practical with you today. Can we do that? Hopefully there'll be some revelation in this, but I hope more than anything else, there's something practical that you can take home. So I'm going to give you five points today. And the first one is the title of the message. It's course correction. Paul had warned them, guys, this is a bad idea. Bad idea. You should have listened. An angel stood beside me. Matthew, the second chapter, Pastor Brett preached on the visit of the Magi last week. A couple of years after the birth of Christ, these men from the east come bearing gifts to worship this, this Messiah, this Christ child. And yet they got there and it says, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Acts, the 16th chapter, Paul and his companions are trying to go into all kinds of different places to bring this gospel. And time after time, Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit would not allow them to enter until revelation came in a dream where Paul saw the man from Macedonia saying, come over here, help us, preach to us. You see, many times course correction begins with a moment of encounter with God. You know, I find that God doesn't show up for the sake of showing up. God shows up to do something, to say something, to move our life from where it is to where it needs to be. Course correction begins with divine encounter. And I believe this is going to be a year that if we will open our eyes and open our ears, that we're going to have divine encounters. Talk about encounters of the third kind. We're going to have encounters of the God kind this year. 
We start out on a path that's ours. The scripture talks about it being a wide path and a road to destruction. God comes in a revelatory way and he snatches us up. There's a good southern term, by the way. And we're headed in the wrong direction and doing it fast. And God comes and he interrupts our trajectory. Aren't you glad of that? Now, he doesn't bring an adjustment. He brings a 180 in that particular moment. says, you are going this way. Why don't, we, why don't we move away from headed straight to hell, and why don't we get you moving back toward me? God does this by his grace and by his mercy. And it starts out exactly like that. And he gets us on the right path, headed in the right direction. But how many of you know that throughout then our walk with God, it requires continual adjustment. Continual course correction. In our life, it's called sanctification. The way we think, the way we act. God is always tweaking. Not at all unlike Israel following the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Making those adjustments as necessary in order to continue to stay in God's trajectory. You know, after a moment on the planet, I've learned to heed well the female voices around my life. My mother's voice took me a long time on that. After almost 40 years of marriage, I've kind of learned to listen to my wife's voice. And now we have yet this other voice. Her name is Siri. So I've become accustomed to listening well to female voices. And it's an amazing thing is that you get Siri there on your phone and she's telling you how to navigate a certain passage from one place to the next. And you're there and and she tells you to turn here or do that and you just, and you start arguing with her. Now I've learned is don't argue with the female voices around your life, Daryl. Don't do it. And so she's, I mean, she's not talking back. She's doing, I mean, she's not listening. She's doing all the talking. And so you're there and you're just like, woman, you have lost your mind. I have been here before. That is not the way that you are supposed to go. It's going to take me forever to get there. Everybody talk to your GPS. You crazy as I am then. But you see, Siri has some information you don't have. You see, she knows that there was an accident up on 4-9. She knows what WTOP calls volume is going to back you up until Jesus comes. You see, she's got some information that there in your vantage point, in your little driver's seat, all you're doing is fussing and fuming and complaining, but she's got information you don't have. But if we'll listen, if we'll listen, come on, and then we can try our own way and we'll pull off to the side and she did recalculating. And she'll give you another path to get to where you're going. Might the Holy Spirit, might the Holy Spirit have some information that you and I don't have? That you and I don't see with natural eyes. That you and I, if we can look back into our historical database and it still will fail us in the moment of God trying to get us from here to there safely. Yes. 
The shortest distance between where you are and where God wants you to be is always his path, not yours. Wandering and delay are often associated with either God's judgment or simply being out of God's will and trajectory. And God wants to bring some course correction to you and to me, I believe, in this year. But there are challenges to that. Number one, when we hear the word correction, something in us says, "Uh uh-uh. No. Because, you see, we hear the word correction and we immediately associate it with discipline. And we immediately associate discipline with rejection. Ladies and gentlemen, all of us have a story. We're all messed up. At some point, we were adjusted wrong. We were corrected wrong. We were disciplined wrong. Maybe even to the point we were abused in that discipline. We all have a story. We're all messed up somehow. If it didn't happen at home, it happened in the locker room with a coach with somebody messed you up. They said something. And we hear the word correction and we go, uh-uh, not me. Don't, uh-uh. Can't touch this. And that rejection begins to rise up. But hear me, saints, correction is not rejection. Correction is a loving God saying, I want to get you on the course you need to be on. You need to get over yourself. Let me heal what's broken so that we can get from point A to point B. We like the paths we're on because what? They're familiar. But many times they tend to be of our own making. And our own understanding, yet Proverbs says, a man's steps are directed by the Lord. How can anyone understand his own way? We get in the middle of a, of a situation and God says, I want you to do this. And we say, what? God says, I want you to empty your bank account. Give. What? I'm sorry, but the power company don't care. That does not make any sense at all. And many times what starts out as a path, even a good one, it could becomes a rut. And we get stuck. And we can't deviate. We can't move to the left and the right. We can't follow the movement of the Holy Spirit because this is, what, this is all we know right here. And it's not only those things we do in the natural. It's those things that are going on in our head as well. It's not just the natural ruts, it's the emotional and the cognitive ruts as well that we get stuck. And God is wanting to break us out of this natural thinking, this natural understanding, and to be the supernatural spiritual men and women who those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Some of us are running around like illegitimate children because we're not following the Holy Ghost. Some of you are like, okay, that's nice. Romans 12. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Neuroscientists have learned that there are ruts of thinking, literally wiring that happens in the brain. That in a process called neuroplasticity is that literally we have to, there's a process where we make new wiring, we make new paths, the ruts of thinking literally get changed and our brain, scientists and doctors are now figuring out what we've known in scripture forever, 
They're showing it to be true. God wants to course correct some of your natural paths, but your emotional and cognitive paths as well. The challenge with the course correction, my second point, is there are always complications. Before long, a wind came, a hurricane-force wind called a northeaster. End of last year, I spoke a message entitled, Wind in the Whirlwind. Nahum chapter 1, verse 3, it says, God's way is in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Zechariah, it says, ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. How many of you want rain? We all want rain. But it says, it's the Lord who brings the storm clouds. We want the rain. We just don't want the storm. We don't want the clouds that are part of the rain. God, just give us rain. Just get me one of those, you know, one of those little pristine bottles with the mountain water and just... And the storms will come. It's a Bible promise. And storm clouds have been gathering. You don't have to be the least bit prophetic. All you got to do is just be aware to know that there's storm clouds that are gathering. They're gathering in this nation, unprecedented. In the nations, there are things going on. And again, you don't have to be real observant to figure that out. Bad news always travels faster than good news. And we have a fascination with storms and bad news. In the world, we're always looking for the next disaster. Some of you have heard me pontificate on the National Geographic series called Doomsday Preppers. These are well-intended people, but they're nuts. Preparing for some disaster du jour, you know, where gravity is going to cut loose or the poles are going to reverse or it's going to be economic meltdown or radiation fallout or the zombie apocalypse. And I mean, everybody's got them a school bus and they're, you know, they're ready. They're ready. Of course, the joke is, you know, when they pick the wrong apocalyptic event to prepare for and the zombies show up, you know, but, but the world is fascinated with storms. But could I submit to you that Prophetic people are fascinated with storms as well. Because a lot of what I pick up and read and begin to hear after the fact, it's just like, well, that's going to happen over there, and California's going to float off into the ocean, you know. And and you begin to hear all of these dire things about storms. Most of the time what we hear prophesied, they're just about storms. But there are almost no warnings involved. It's just a matter of, But the real emphasis should be on, one, who you're with in the storm and the path through the storm, not just waiting for the storm to pass over. That should be our emphasis, ladies and gentlemen. You see, sailors understand this. Sailors see wind come up and they don't go nuts. They understand through tacking. And some of you are sailors, and I'm going to ruin this, so I apologize in advance. But it's, it's how you set certain sails in certain directions that it doesn't matter which way the wind is coming. You can get that boat to go where you want it to go. 
is called tacking. And we've been around long enough that we, we see what seems to be an opposing wind and we start loosening and binding and binding that loose and smacking and the devil this and, you know, we just go after it. Because if it's not a wind that's gentle and at our back and it gets in our face, we say, that, let me just tell you, through Revelation, God is going to show you how to navigate opposing winds in this season. And the winds of opposition are going to become the very winds of opportunity in your life. I want you to hear this. Somebody said it this way. We all want miracles. We don't want the miracle circumstances. We all want the wind of God as long as it's coming from the direction we wanted to blow in. And let me just tell you, this divine wind, and sometimes it's going to come suddenly, it's going to come strong. But for some of us, it's going to blow us back on the course that God intends for us to, to be on. We go on in our story, verse 18. It says, we took such a beating that the next day we begin to throw the cargo overboard. And by the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. You know, it's amazing what we don't need in a storm. A couple of years ago, my wife and I were, we came to an event here at the church. And I was in, at that time, my Mini Cooper, which I no longer have, primarily as a result of this story I'm getting ready to tell you. And it was raining. Now, I live off of a road. That's called freeze land. There should be some indication. So I told my wife, I said, I think we'll be all right. We'll just take the little car. So we got back up on the mountain about 1130 at night, and I hit the first real incline going down into my neighborhood, and my car just says, I'm on my own now. <laughs> so as we slide down and rest against a tree at 1130 at night, you know, it's amazing that my CDs and my sunglasses and all of my stuff in my car, my car seat, it didn't do me much good in that moment. My wife and I had a pair of crampons between the two of us. They're those spiky things you put on your shoes. So she put on one, I put on the other one. We didn't have enough clothes on, had no flashlight. And the walk from there to our house was two hours. It was a four-minute drive, but it was a two-hour walk because of the ice. So we take six steps and fall. And so we're one foot in the ditch, one foot on the ice. My wife still has not found any humor in this story, <laughs> except for the fact that we took the Mini Cooper out and we had a, a mercy killing, and I have a different car now. But it's amazing when we get in a storm situation like that, that many times... The stuff that we've collected around our life, it does us no good in a moment like that. As a matter of fact, some of us need to throw some things overboard. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and do some editing on our life. And I'm not just talking about what Santa Claus brought last week. I'm talking about the collection of stuff that we've picked up around our life. I'm talking about the worry. I'm talking about the fear. I'm talking about all of the extra stuff that we have collected. And say, well, Pastor Jim, we're consumers. That's what we do. We collect things. We collect things. Let me tell you what. Collection is just a nice word for hoarders. 
And the collection, let me tell you, it brings its own brand of crazy after a while. Trying to categorize it and find a place for it. But we do the same thing emotionally. We pick up things God never intended for us to have, but we think, oh, I like that. I'm going to pick that up. I'm going to pick that. I'm going to pick that up. And next thing you know, we wonder why we can't walk anymore. Technology is supposed to make our life easier. I have a new phone. Ooh, new phone. No. I'm going to invent a cord with a phone, with, with a cord with a, a phone with a cord on it. One, I can't lose it. And it works all the time. So I was on the phone trying to get my phone. Do you, you, ours with this wonderful new phone that's supposed to enhance my life. All of the stuff that we have now for housekeeping, things with cords on it. Washers and dryers and dishwashers and vacuum cleaners and microwave ovens. Do you realize that today that we spend more time doing those chores than our great-greats did at the beginning of the 20th century? And they were the days that great-great went out and had to chase the chicken down and do horrible things to it, to eat. But we spend more time now as a result of all of this stuff that we've collected. Do you trust God enough to let him edit your life? To let him tell you what you need rather than you telling him what you need. Let me tell you, that's a new place of trust. Because we always think, oh God, you're going to add to. And we've got the language for that in the church today. More, more, more. God spoke to me. He said, son, church needs to divest in order to invest. Most of us have got so much that there's no more room. And we have to cooperate. The pearl of great price. This merchant found this one pearl. Sold everything he had so he could have it. He divested himself of everything else to invest in the kingdom. That was the parable. Scripture goes on and it says, throw off everything that hinders that keeps us from running that race. And yet, we're so, we're, we're, we've collected so much. And we don't even, we're not even aware sometimes what we've collected. Sometimes I pick up my wife's purse and, I, and it doesn't move. I say, honey, what? Well, I might need those bricks. Okay, great, carry those things. Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are heavy laden. Do you realize that there's some, there's some things that we can do, but there's some unburdening that only Jesus can do. He says, let me take from you. See, we come to him with this collection on, this, on our life and say, look at me, I'm strong, I'm full of faith, I'm not dead yet. Jesus says, no, no, please, let me take that off of you. And then, here, put this on. Oh, that feels good. Wow, that, that, yeah, that, that fits. No more trips to the chiropractor. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. Collection. Then there's communion. 
God encounters change our trajectory. I got to finish this quick. Moses, burning bush. It says that he came over. It says he turned aside. Yeah, I guess if there was burning vegetation talking to you, you would take a look at that. Some of you wouldn't, but most of us would. It says he turned aside. Acts chapter 9, Paul on the road to Damascus. I mean, the blinding light, he falls to the ground. He hears the voice of God. His companions with him don't hear a thing. But Paul is impacted because he can't see anymore. These God encounters will increase if we will see and sense and hear and heed his leading. Job 33 says, God speaks now one way, now another, though man may not perceive it. Numbers, the 22nd chapter. Balaam riding his old donkey there. Beating that donkey because that donkey won't move. Finally, the donkey opens his mouth. He says, would you quit? I'm trying to save your life, fool. Angel of the Lord standing there with a sword drawn. And the donkey could see what Balaam couldn't see. It wasn't until God opened Balaam's eyes he could see, oh, donkey saved my life. We have a midweek meeting here. We call it 715 because we meet at 715. In In November, rather, God spoke to me. He said, Take the first half of 2017, and I want you to talk about knowing God. Little did I know that Jim LaFoon was actually creating the study guide for our Every Nation Prayer and Fasting moment called Knowing God. So let me invite you to 715 for the next six months because we're going to talk about knowing God. Not knowing about God, but knowing God. And that communion, this closeness. God says, as we draw near, he does what he draws near to us. There's communication. To whom are you listening? The centurion, instead of listening to Paul, he listened to the pilot, the owner of the ship. He listened to the majority. You know, there's always some folk out there that they've got, quote, the word. This is what you need to do, what you need to eat, what you need to wear this year, what you need to be listening to. Everybody's got an opinion about your life, about the trajectory and the direction of your life. A lot of voices. And there's a lot of, quote, prophetic voices out there too. My wife and I travel and I sit sometimes in these same prophetic conferences year after year after year. And I hear the same, quote, prophetic people giving the same prophetic word I've been in that same meeting for 12 years and they're still prophesying that same word and it's always something about open heaven, open harvest, a day of blessing, double pour. I mean, it's like, I'm sorry. Ezekiel 13 talks about the prophets. He said, they lead my people astray saying peace when there is none. Because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Let me just tell you here at Grace, we're not building flimsy walls and we're not whitewashing what we're building. Not happening. But we need to be very circumspect who we're listening to in this moment. And while we're talking about communion, let's talk about community. With whom are you in the boat? 
I spoke a message in the summer entitled Band of Brothers. Do you know who your band of brothers is? Do you know who you're in the boat with? I hope you do. I know who my band of brothers happens to be. Duke and Kathy Bendix, we do life together. Weird things like chop wood and change tires. Brett and Cynthia in my living room for four or five hours just a few days ago, just hanging out. Gary and Jody Senna, LaFoon's, Mansfield's, band of brothers. I know who's in my boat. But if the right people are in the boat with you, if those people are in right proximity with you, you're going to hear the right things. You're going to hear the right things from God through those people if you're in the right boat with the right people. And at Grace Covenant Church, community is not just something that we put on a poster and call it a core value. It's something we believe in. And there are folk that roll up and they come to church on Sunday and they clock in and clock out in 60 minutes and say, we're in community. Let me break your heart on the first day of the year. No, you're not. You come to a meeting, but you're not in community. Community is Wednesday. Community is small group. So, oh, Pastor Jim, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't, you've never been out there on 66. It was developed by the devil. And I work for Pharaoh and the Antichrist and the false prophet all rolled into one. I can't get out of there. I can barely get to church on Sunday. Have you seen my children? And you're telling me you want me to get to a small group during the week? You've been in the communion wine, son. Which there is none in this church, and so that makes it even more. I understand. I really do. But let me just tell you, you'll fight the same traffic to get to a Redskins game. You'll be even more inconvenienced to to roll up somewhere and get entertained by somebody. Are you in the boat? Who's in the boat with you? And we need to get close. You know, when you want to hear something well, what do you do? The disciples, Jesus was in the boat, but they had to go get up closer to him. And they had to hear one more time. I told you we were going across. And then lastly is completion. Acts 28. And so we came to Rome. This happens to be on the Hebrew calendar year 5777. I don't ever look at numbers and numerology as a way of deriving revelation, but I do look at these external things many times to affirm that which I think I'm hearing. Seven is the most significant biblical number. It means completion or perfection. And in year 5777, that number is repeated three times. God is intent on finishing what he started in this year. And in that completion... We're going to find some amazing things. Last year, during the year of Jubilee, I held up two things before the Lord. They both involved my children, who are are adults. One involved my daughter, who has been in debilitating pain for over three years. that That God would touch her last year. The second was my 
35-year-old son, that he would finally put a ring on that woman he was been dating all these years. God began the process of healing my daughter over the last couple of months. He's not finished, but he started. And my son put a ring on it about 30 days ago. And we'll have a wedding this year. Now, it didn't happen in 2016, but it all started in 2016. But I, I am believing that God is going to finish that which he started. And saints, listen, in that finishing, there's rest. You know, the Sabbath principle of God, he did, on, on day seven, he didn't say, man, I'm tired, I need a break. No, God says, I'm finished. That's what Sabbath is. I'm finished. And you see, when we come into that finishing grace, that finishing work of Christ, rest enters our soul. Which begs the question, will we allow the good shepherd to pasture us this year? Not pastor, pasture. Psalm 23, he leads me beside still waters. Will we allow Christ to lead us to those places? Let me just tell you, Fox and CNN aren't leading you there. But you need to allow Jesus to lead you there. Hebrews 4 talks about the Sabbath rest of God. It's something that's supernatural. It's imparted. It's imputed to us. But that rest comes as a result of finishing. What have I said today? I believe that we're in a year of course correction. God's going to come and change some things in, your, in lives. And for some of you, it's going to be a little scary. So for some of you, it's going to involve job changes. For some of you, it's going to involve geographic shifts. Let me encourage you, don't be afraid of the course correction. Don't be afraid of it. Don't fret the changes and don't miss the wind in the whirlwind. Stay flexible to the course correction of God. You're going to hear a lot about storms from every quarter. Scary things. Storms will come. But Jesus promised us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Stay in communion. Get in close. Get in close with Christ, but get in close with one another. Throw overboard what needs to be overboard. Chuck it over. Get rid of it. You don't need it. And then allow the finishing rest of Christ, the completed work, to take hold in your soul. Pray with me.